If you've ever wondered, your pastor can relate to you because this past week was a rough week. Ugh. Matt, you've had rough weeks. John, you've had rough weeks. We've all had rough weeks. So the sermon is not typically where I want it to be, but I've got a big idea that I want to share with you. I've been in the passage in Philippians chapter 4, so let's just get on with it. For the longest time in my life, my focus, my gaze was on my to-do list. And on any given day, I had about 25 or uh, 30 tasks that I was trying to get accomplished in any given day. And so I started off with a literal paper planner, Franklin Covey. Jenny and I had to drive to Louisville to get my pages, and I would have the tasks mapped out A1, A2, A3, B1, B2, B3, C1, C2, C3. I would have them prioritized. And in any given day, I would get maybe eight or ten tasks done And all I could see were the remaining 12 to 15 tasks that I didn't get done. And so I was never satisfied. I was always looking at it as a complete failure. Okay. I was productive, but I wasn't happy. When I stepped down from my pastoral role at Church of the Savior, uh, they actually replaced me with two full-time pastors and a halftime pastor. So when I departed the stage from there, I was working so much, I was getting so much done that it took two and a half people to replace me. Again, didn't make me happy. It did not make me happy. So the other part of my early life is that I would dwell, I would actually focus on what went wrong or on what didn't happen, or on what didn't work right. If I assembled something at Christmas for the kids, if I got 99% of it right, but one bolt was off, I all I could see was the one bolt. And so I had a negative focus. Um, in school, if I got a 93% on an assignment, my gaze, my focus was on the 7% of missing points. Uh, and so... Uh, this translated in ministry. Uh, when I was a children's pastor, if we had an event and 50 people came to the event, my focus, my gaze was on the 10 who didn't come. Can we just be honest? 2020 has sucked eggs. I know I'm not supposed to say that as a pastor, but 2020 has sucked eggs, which is why John Krasinski's Some Good News went viral. We needed a different focus. Come on. Every day in the news, Trump, pandemic, China, like there was nothing good. Stock market, like every turn of the bat was something new, catastrophic, awful riots. Come on. (laughs) We've just had one bad turn after another, which is why when John Krasinski stepped onto the stage, even though it was cheesy, even though the background was a hand-drawn thing, we were all drawn to it because we needed some good news. We needed a change in our focus. So last week, we kind of talked about how can you increase joy in your life? And I said, one of the, a great place to start in terms of increasing joy is to actually shift your focus and begin to make a big deal out of others. Joy is actually one of the big themes, one of the big concepts in Paul's letter to the church 
of the Philippians. Uh, this letter, again, is written from prison, and it's written in response to the Philippians sending this man named Epaphroditus to encourage Paul in prison and to bring Paul some money that would pay for his expenses. The crux of this letter, again, is the poem that's found in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. The poem where Paul says, you should have the same attitude of Jesus Christ. And then the poem describes that attitude. That is the core idea of this letter. Every other paragraph, every other idea, every other thing that Paul is saying is just a spoke or an offshoot of that poem. So today, I want to encourage you to shift your focus away from your to-do list and shift your focus on to think. Yeah, I want to cover thinking, okay? Um, it's critical for us to dwell on our blessings, strengths, and goals, and not the to-do list, and not went wrong. It's why Paul spends so much time in his letters talking about renewing our minds and the power of what goes on in our thought life. This is uh, from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul says this, You must have the same attitude, attitude that Jesus Christ had. What exactly is an attitude? What's an attitude? You know a bad attitude when you see it. When you were a kid or a teenager, chances are your mom or dad called you out and was like, I don't want to see that attitude. You get rid of that attitude. And, you know, out came the belt or punishments or other kinds of things. Is an attitude just a feeling or an emotion? No, no. An attitude is actually a settled way of thinking about someone or something that is reflected in your behavior. How a Christian thinks is actually critical. How you and I frame our attitude is critical, which is why Paul says something really important in, in Philippians 4, verse 8. And we're just going to be in that one verse today, just one verse. There's a lot going on. Philippians 4, 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the peace of God will be with you. Again, I want you to shift your focus from your to-do list to what you're thinking, okay? The Phillips translation puts it this way. Here's a last piece of advice. If you believe in goodness and if you value the approval of God, fix your minds on the things which are holy and right and pure and beautiful and good. Model your conduct on what you've learned from me and what I've told and shown you, and you'll find the peace of God will be with you. Eugene Peterson translates it this way. Summing it all up, friends... I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Paul is actually in the first few verses of chapter four been talking about worry and, and anxiety. And then he says, to sum it up, 
fix your thoughts on, and then he has that list of things. You want to be spiritually mature? You want to experience joy? Well, you got to replace worry thoughts, perfectionist thoughts, to-do thoughts with what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Mark Twain in the 1800s put it this way, What a wee little part of a person's life are his acts and words. His real life is led in his head and is known to none but himself. Twain's right. Our thought life comprises a huge part of who we are. So I want to kind of call out these six qualities that Paul lists here. The first thing he says is fix your mind, fix your thoughts on what is true. You know what's true? God's Word is true. Jesus Christ is true. A good place to start. You want to know what's real about the universe? What does God have to say? How does God see things? That's what's true. That's what's up. Honorable means worthy of reverence, combining the ideas of gravity and dignity. There there are two things you'll find in this life that are extremely valuable. God, who's everywhere, and people who are made in His image. And when we honor something, we're ascribing the worth and value that's inerrant to that thing. In this case, God and people are extremely valuable. Uh, What is true, what is honorable, what is right, uh, whatever right, this rightness speaks to God's character. Um, When we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, your kingdom come on earth as as it is in heaven, we're praying for that rightness to be part of the lives that we're living. What is pure? This, in, in Paul, because he, he was raised a Jew, it's got these two parts to it, ceremonial purity and sexual purity. And, and, and it's got both mixed into that. If you are watching porn on a regular basis, you're filling your mind with what is impure. It's going to drag you down. What is lovely? Lovely has the idea of that which is admirable or agreeable to behold or considered. I can think of no one else that's more lovely than Jesus Christ. And then what's admirable. This is what we talked about last week when we talked about making a big deal out of others, particularly their accomplishments, their successes, their strengths, what makes them themselves in a way that you can say, I'm proud of who you are, what is admirable. So Tommy Newberry has a kind of contrast about this thought life that he wants us to to, to dwell on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. And he says there are these things that are junk-producing thoughts. And I just want to share a few. He's got a list of 45 junk-producing thoughts. Let me just start rattling them off. Here's a thought. Here are thoughts that you have in your head, and when you have them, it just makes junk in your life. I'm never going to be happy. That's just the way it is. This probably won't work. I don't have what it takes. That always happens to me. Well, I guess the honeymoon's over. I hate myself. He doesn't love me anymore. I'm not worthy. Like, come on, when you think these things, do you feel like, I've got a spring in my... No, you don't have a spring in your step. It sucks the life right out of your soul. And then Tommy Newberry lists 45 joy-producing thoughts. I expect the best, and it shows. 
I trust God. My faith is strong. I'm responsible. I'm a new person through Jesus Christ. I am making progress. I'm bold. I'm lovable. I've let go and God's got this and God's got me. Everything I need, I already have. I can trust God no matter what. Let me ask some questions of you. Would you like to break out of the rut that's 2020? Would you like to break out of the rut that is 2020, the train wreck that is 2020? You got to break free of the to-do list and the negativity. Would you like to have greater influence in the lives of your children, whether they're grown up or at home? Would you like to become more emotionally resilient? Then you've got to begin working on your thought life and you've got to dwell on blessings, strengths, and goals. Again, I'm going to give five practical uh, questions and I'll post these on Facebook. I'll make these available through email. But these are five questions that you should post on your computer, on the driver, uh, the driving wheel of your car so that when you're in stoplights, instead of looking at your phone, you're looking at this list of questions uh, on your exercise bike. And here are the five questions. Again, from Tommy Newberry in his book, The 4-8 Principle, based on Philippians 4-8. What are five things I'm thankful for right now? What are five of my strengths or my positive traits? What are five things in my life so far I'm most proud of? Who are the five people who love me the most? What are five things I'm looking forward to this week, this month, this year? Newbury says that by asking you to come up with five things for each of those questions, he's forcing you to dwell on what is good, what is honorable, what is pure, what is admirable. Okay, so here's the thing. Joy is not an emotion. It doesn't just happen and disappear randomly. Joy is a result of being intentional with your thought life, okay? Particularly the work of God's Spirit in your thought life. So again, today, I want you to shift from the to-do list, shift from what's wrong, to begin to dwell on your blessings, strengths, and yeah, even goals for your life. That's a good place to start to begin cultivating the right conditions for joy.